Welcome back in. This is the Magic the Gathering unofficial audiobooks podcast. I am your humble narrator, Phil Dawson, and I'm excited to bring you another chapter. But before we begin, want to get some business out of the way first. Number one, we keep growing. It's so awesome to get some of the feedback. As of this recording, we have hit over 40,000 listens, which is amazing, but also tells me that this was a niche that was sorely lacking in the Magic community, so I'm very happy to be bringing it to all of you. Uh, With that being said, please share it with your Magic community. I've been real excited about the Brothers War set coming out and getting some listeners hooked before that set might really make someone's day. So please spread the love at your local game store, your online groups, friends, whatever it may be. Uh, It's all good. And again, we can all enjoy this ride together. And of course, if you want to leave an over-the-top good review, I would love that. I would love to read those and share those. And we want to keep our five-star streak going over on Spotify, too. So uh, if you want to do that, if you have the chance, hit that five stars. Let's see if we can get to 100 perfect five-star ratings. Again, as of this recording, we're at 70 perfect five-star ratings. So let's keep it going. And I do really appreciate it. I think it's awesome. It's, It's like funny to me. It's crazy. So what the heck? Let's just keep doing it. Five stars. Let's go. Uh, Secondly, don't forget, if you are interested in supporting this through Patreon, you can. Head to patreon.com, look me up, Phil Dawson, find a tier that fits you. Um, It's really a more personal look and insight into what's going on in my life. Got a lot of great stuff happening along with this project. So if you're interested in, uh, obviously, this um, or in Japan, that's where I live, or beer, that's what I do, or... Becoming a dad, that's what like my main role is right now, and it is wild. Uh, your support means a whole heck of a lot to me, and I'm really glad to have you. And lastly, regardless of the support on Patreon, find the link in our show notes to our Discord. It continues to grow and continues to have some cool discussions taking place. And since it's newer, we're just getting into the groove and meeting everybody, but it's so nice. It's fun. Uh, one of our latest discussions is discovering how to speak Phyrexian. So, yeah, want to check that out, right? Come on join. And the feedback is always appreciated. Tell me where you're listening from, what you like about the book so far. I'd love to hear from you. It makes me feel good. Phil and Sendai on Twitter or on Instagram. Okay. Are you ready, Planeswalkers? Let's do this. Chapter 5 Teferi sat on a wind-blasted crest of rock above the restless nighttime sea. It had been quite a feat reaching this point. Joyra was lithe and athletic. She had moved quickly and soundlessly from her room after lantern call that evening. Despite Teferi's invisibility enchantment, she sensed she was being followed. Twice as she made her way through the empty corridors of the school, she looked back. The first time, Teferi fetched up against a recessed doorway to the forge room. The handle of the door rattled. She peered a long time back into the feverish night, and Teferi dared not breathe. When at last he looked again, she was already gone. He caught up with her in the Hall of Artifact Creatures, a museum where Malzra placed important but obsolete inventions. The place was unnerving enough by day. It was filled with statuesque creatures of metal plate and guy wire, each posed with limbs extended as if beseeching the viewer to reactivate them. At night, the museum was downright frightening. 
Wiry, dog-headed Yoshin warriors menaced in their crouches. Backward-kneed Chi lifters seemed behemoth from some far-off world, and the far side of the mechanical menagerie, Joira was no more than a fleeting triangle of cloth. The door she exited led to the Western Laboratory, a half-used structure that was beastly hot in the height of the summer and dank in the drear of winter. Once again, he almost lost her. There was no sign of her in the lab. He cast a spell, seeing the fading heat of her footprints on the floor. They disappeared as he followed. She'd gotten away. Teferi stepped on a slightly skewed grating. It rang with possibilities. He knelt and stared down into the darkness below the grate. Joyra's tampering had been evident even in the dark, at least to a mage's eye, and the trick of her specially engineered bolts took only minutes to divine. After that, it was easy enough to reach the wall. He saw her slip from the channel as the guards overhead cursed some nocturnal bird. Teferi conjured a real bird to do the task for him, a sky captain that nearly spooked the men into jumping. With the bird and his invisibility, the young prodigy followed with ease. Joyra was not so cautious thereafter. Perhaps once away from the school, she thought no one would be around to detect her. Perhaps once near her hideaway, she was too eager to be careful. Even in the patchy light of the glimmer moon, Teferi made good time through the steaming woods and to this spot just above the sea, just beside the mouth of a dimly flickering cave. He dispelled his invisibility, drew a deep breath, and, with a smug smile, stared into the niche. He stopped just in time. Teferi saw what lay within, who lay within. In a fit of disgust, he withdrew, unable to bear any more. He'd expected to find something to use against Joyra, something with which he could extort a kiss from her, perhaps, but not this. Another man? Even if Teferi mentioned that he knew her secret, he could not win her heart with it. She would only hate him all the more. He sat there while the sea toiled ceaselessly below and the wind dug its claws into the clouds overhead. He rose and headed back toward the academy, his mind abuzz with questions. As he pushed past the pawing undergrowth of the western isle, a new thought occurred to him. It was possible there were certain things in life that could not be attained through manipulation and trickery. Nothing he had done won Joyra to him. No amount of misdirection, cajoling, humiliation, artifice, boasting, or innuendo had convinced her he was great. Teferi was honestly confused. He'd never met a person so resistant to the obvious truth of his supremacy. She couldn't see any of his overwhelming virtues, determined to focus on the difference in their ages. Grow up, was all she could ever think to say to him. He was growing up. How could he grow up faster? He didn't have a time machine. That's when he felt the hand seize his shoulder and thrust his face to the ground. Teferi knows about Carrick, Karn said to Joyra. The silver man hunched just outside the doorway in the nervous light of morning. Drowsy, Joyra blinked at her friend. She had gotten back only an hour before, during the sunrise change of the guard. What are you talking about? They caught him outside the academy this morning. He was coming back from the western shore. Her stomach sinking, Joyra motioned Karn into the room and closed the door behind him. She ran her hand through her tussled hair. Now, what's this all about? Teferi's been watching you, Karn said with quiet intensity. He's probably followed you. They caught him on his way back from the shore. He must have seen... Who, who caught him? Joyra interrupted. The guards from the western wall. One had seen something rustling in the jungle when he left. The guard followed until she lost the trail but waited on the path for him to return. They interrogated him for hours. They're angry about your mechanical birds and think Teferi conjured them. They've got nothing out of him, though. Not even the roots you used out of the school. And half an hour ago, they turned him over to Master Malzra himself. 
shaking her head in irritation. Joyra swung wide the bone and laid doors on her wardrobe and rifled among her clothes. She chose her most formal white cloak, trimmed in gold piping, and slipped it on. Shedding her nightclothes beneath the robe, she selected a belt of gold rope and clinched it angrily around her waist. "'What are you going to do?' Karn asked, stunned. "'I'm going to defend myself.' "'Teferi hasn't said anything yet,' Karn pointed out. "'Teferi?' Joyra asked, angry. "'He's holding out for the right price. He'll sell me out as soon as he has Master Malzra twisted around his finger.' She shook her head again. "'I want to beat him to the punch. I'm going to confess what I've done, so at least I have honesty on my side.' With a final snort of surrender, she turned and bent over her cot, her hands drawing up the covers over a lump Karn had not noticed before. Let's go. As the two turned to leave, Karn glanced back at the cot where he saw the curly golden hair of Carrick. Master Malzra was in a state. His face, always alight with a golden inner glow, was bright as a candle. His eyes seemed to cast twin red beams of hellfire. He paced, his blue robes crinkling all about him. In the dim light of the small study, he was enormous and powerful, as though he wore one of the suits of power armor he had on display in the Hall of Artifact Creatures. Before him, 14-year-old Teferi looked as small as a sparrow. "'Who are you, then? What are you, a spy? You're too young to be a Phyrexian sleeper. You don't smell like glistening oil. But you are smart and ambitious and incorrigible, just the sort of person the Phyrexians choose. What were you doing beyond the wall?' Who were you meeting? Phyrexian negators? Teferi kept his eyes averted on the Blackwood tabletop where he sat. I don't even know what you mean by a fry, fry, egg, fry, exclusion. Don't mock me, demanded Malzra, pounding the tabletop with his fist. Tapping an inner reserve of strength, Teferi raised his eyes to meet the glowing orbs of the master, which looked like the multifaceted eyes of an insect. Teferi drew a deep breath and roared right back at the man. You're mad, master! Everyone knows it! You're also a genius, of course! None of us would even come here to study if we didn't know that! You know more about artifice and magic than any man in the millennia! But you're mad! Fire-eaters and fanatics, demons and dog-faced men? Invaders? Conspirators and spies? The only invaders that ever come to this island are fish stupid enough to get stranded by the tide, or seagulls who've lost their sense of direction and flown away from everything and into nothing! No one wants to get in here, Master Malzra, but I can think about 200 students and 40 scholars who want out, and that's what I was doing beyond the wall, believe it or not. In the sudden, stunned silence, a knock came at the door. Mage Baron shifted from the shadows and went to the door. While the latch sounded and hushed voices spoke, Teferi and Malzra stared into each other's eyes. There was recognition between them. Despite the vast differences in their ages, the two knew in that moment that they were more alike than different. Brilliant, driven, selfish, unstoppable, obsessive, irresponsible, and as deeply flawed as they were gifted. But there was something more to it, an undeniable spark of greatness, unmistakable among those blessed or cursed by it. Malzor's eyes intensified. Teferi felt a presence in his mind, sinuous as a snake. Malzra slithered through his thoughts. The master sniffed among skittering memories, snapped and swallowed them. Fear, like a mouse, went first into that maw, then jealousy and timid insecurity. The master's mind snapped down images of the forest and the glimmer moon. The truth lay beyond. It smelled sour and strong. Malzra wound forward. In moments, he would know. He would know. Teferi's eyes intensified, too. A cat came prowling among his thoughts. 
righteous, indignant, and pride, and it leapt on the snaking mind of Malzra, fangs and claws, spitting and hissing, fur and scale. They fought in the young man's mind. The battle was ferocious, though only their beaming eyes gave outward sign of it. Baron discreetly cleared his throat to break the tension. <clears throat> Joyra and Karn are here? Another time! Malzra growled. She says she's come to confess, Baron said, gesturing the young woman and the silver man into the small study. Malzra ended the staring match. His eyes flashed as he marked the Gitu woman. She was dressed in her formal academy robe, the one she wore when inducted into the ranks of his senior students. Confess to what? I am to blame for all of this, Joyra said evenly. I am the reason Teferi was outside the walls last night. The young man goggled for a moment at her and then jumped in. She dared me! All eyes in the room turned quizzically on him. I'm almost trying to oppress her, but she thinks I'm too young for her. Finally, she said she didn't want to talk to me again until I did something brave and grown up. That's not what Joyra began. You thought sneaking out of the academy would be grown up? Malzer demanded. I thought if I could get out into the woods at night, I could maybe catch a night loon. They have a beautiful song. They sing to the glimmer moon. I made those mechanical birds to impress her. She's not interested in my magic. And I wanted to show her that I was an artificer too, but she said only they're fake, just like you. So I thought, if I, if I caught a real bird, a rare nighttime songbird, and I did it without magic, did it by going by myself... To catch a loon? Baron asked, astonished. I had a little chain with a metal collar. I, I was going to clip it around the bird's leg and put a hood on his head, but they n got knocked out of my pocket when the guard tackled me. A night loon? Baron repeated, incredulous. He turned to Malzra. I don't believe him, Malzra. I think in this case we could suspend the school's moratorium against mind probes. I could cast a truth spell on him. No! Something had changed in Malzra's eyes. Not a softening, but a hardening. A keen calculation. No! This was no crime great enough to warrant such drastic measures. A guilty look passed between him and Teferi. He found a night loon all right. Himself. But I dare say this stunt wasn't enough to impress Joyra. It was not brave or grown up. It was foolhardy. Stupid! Teferi swallowed and bowed his head. Yes, sir. Stunned, Joyra realized her mouth was moving, but nothing was coming out. What do you have to say, Joyra? Malzra asked. Are you impressed by such exploits? She took a deep breath and said, Well, in a way, yes. After the students and the silver man had left, Baron lurked among the book shadows of Urza's library. For his part, the planeswalker sat, silent and brooding, at the Blackwood desk. How to say this, wondered Baron, how to say any of this. There's more to this, Urza, you know that. I know, came the calm response. You shouldn't allow the truth of Teferi's words, all, all that business about genius and madness and paranoia to distract you from the fact that he was outside the school for more than night loons. Yes, agreed Urza wearily. He drew a long, conscious breath, not something he needed to do to live, being a creature of pure energy. Simple acts such as breathing brought him the invaluable connection to the world around him. There is a Phyrexian in the school. I smell it. It is warded, shielded, wary. Its smell is faint and diffuse, but it is here. A Phyrexian in Talaria. The ruby light of the time travel portal pulsed around Karn. 
He saw none of it. His mind's eye was turned inward to the confrontation among Malzra, Teferi, Baron, and Joyra. The outcome of that episode a week ago still boggled him. Carrick should have been exposed. Joyra and Teferi reprimanded and expelled, and the animosity between them become an unbreachable wall. Instead, the castaway had gained access to the academy by way of the secret passage. Joyra and Teferi had only risen in Malzra's estimation, and the young prodigy had won respect in the eyes of the woman he always sought to impress. How had any of this transpired, Card still didn't understand. He had the distinct sense that much of what had taken place in that strange meeting lay in words unspoken and deeds undone. Time slowed and stopped. Malzra and Baron stood statue-still at their consoles. The whine of the machine reached a peak. Beyond was dead calm. Then the turbines of time reversed and began rolling backward. It was a dreadful instant, and in it Karn always felt utterly alone. With slow deliberation, Malzra and Baron moved again, their hands withdrawing along the consoles, undoing all that they had done, and powering down the machine. The light deepened around Karn. This time the pool did not shift. Malzra had achieved proficiency in spatial displacement. He seemed to have an especial grasp of that arcane endeavor, and so had set it aside to try to push the temporal envelope. With this trial, all the power of the machine was shunted to the temporal vector. It began, the dizzy spooling of time. Karn had gotten used to seeing himself withdraw from the pool of light and slump along backward, listen attentively to the two men, and retreat through the door. In the time prior to that, Malzro and Baron were often busy breaking down portions of the time machine, removing shiny new components and replacing them with burnt-out hunks of metal and glass. One day, their alterations would reshape this machine so that it could carry Karn back centuries, or millennia. He let his mind drift. On that journey, he would see his own creation in the dead pile of plates and cogs he had been before. He would pass through the time when Baron was young, was a baby, and was in the body of his mother. It was nothing at all. It would be a longer journey back to Malzra's beginnings, of course. How much longer, Karn could not have guessed. In route, he would see the man being disassembled piece by piece, just like the time machine before him. He would see each component removed from Malzra, his mania, his paranoia, his obsession, his brilliance, his constant abiding regret and misery. Some of it was part of his original design, perhaps. Much of it, though, the worst of it, must have come from suffering, centuries of it. The laboratory grew dark. Baron retreated around it. He drew from each light orb the enchantment that made it shine. He backed out the door, closed it, and locked it. Then came a period of deepening darkness. Karn could almost feel the sun diving silently below the world, a leviathan swimming backward beneath the sea. It was twenty-two hours now, the extent of their previous success. In the dead of that recoiling night, someone entered the laboratory. It was not Baron or Malzra. Whoever it was neither cast light spells nor lit the mundane oil tapers around the walls. There were workers assigned to cleaning the labs, but who would clean in the dark? The intruder moved along the wall of plans, studying them as though he could see without light. He sorted briefly among the piles of parts and drew from his pockets glimmering stones to lay among the others. A thief. Karn almost stepped from the circle of light, but remembered Malzra's instructions to travel back in time until his frame neared the melting point. He was nowhere near that now, and in moments... The figure was gone. He thought he glimpsed in the gray wedge of hallway light golden curls. Evening came, in the form of unnatural dawn. The regression accelerated. Karn waded through the spooling hours as students and tutors jittered through the space, bees in a hive. Morning came. Shadows lengthened and puddled into vast pools of darkness. It was night again. Karn's hide heated until it steamed. The thief returned. It was forty-six hours into the past. 
long enough. Karn stepped from the ruby light, his frame fairly sizzled as the silver plates met the air of the former time. The man who had been opening the door closed it. Silver Gollum made a rapid and quiet passage to the door and eased it open. He peered out, seeing Carrick withdraw beyond a corner of the corridor. Carrick! Joyra allowed him into the school and was stealing from Master Mulzra. There would be more power stones or plans or parts in his pockets. What use did a castaway have for artifact technology? He must have been delivering these items to someone else. T to whom? There are evils at the door, Karn. Evils beyond anything you can imagine. Karn pursued. He would be out of phase and invisible only so long, and his metallic footsteps would soon give him away. If he didn't catch the thief soon, he never would. Carrick fled down a series of curving corridors. At the end of the snaking route lay a hall of artifact creatures. Perhaps he planned on stealing one of the devices or copying its design. He slipped the latch and entered the chamber. Karn hurried to catch the door before it swung closed. He eased inward. His quarry darted away among a cluster of dog-headed Yoshin warriors. The Silver Man followed. His frame was already slipping into phase. He was fading into being. He made his way forward under cover of the mechanical menagerie. He crouched beside a delver. Its sloping backbone was a vast conveyor designed to bear oars up from mines. Beyond it stood a weathercock topped with a collection of whirring instrumentation. Anemometer, thermometer, barometer, cyclonometer. The next beast was wiry, configured like a hunting dog with long, thin legs, a sleek head, and a whip-like tail. Adjacent to it, Suchi lifters crouched in their backward-kneed massiveness. It was unsettling to stalk among these metallic brothers, deactivated and nearly discarded made to stand like statues in this mausoleum. Karn wondered if he would one day be among them, when Malzra's mania had turned to some pursuit other than time travel, or when he made a better probe to do it. He was only halfway across the chamber when Carrick slipped away through the far door, toward Joyra's secret passage. Karn could not have followed through the tight ductwork, but perhaps he could intercept the thief beyond the wall. Turning, Karn headed for a different door, one that led to the courtyard. He slid the bolt, eased it open, and scanned the yard. Beyond lay a hot and windy night. The glimmer moon was cataracted eye, burning behind sultry clouds. Karn was hotter still, his frame smoldering with heat stress. He emerged and stole across the courtyard. Malzra might recall him at any moment. Karn reached the western wall and climbed the inner buttress. He rose to the battlements. Beside the turrets, guards stood in lazy clumps. A pair of clockwork watchers perched on adjacent towers, their optics turning in slow fans along the outer wall. Deep darkness swayed at the wall's footing. The grate at the end of Joyra's passage lay halfway between the mechanical guards, obscured by tall grasses. Metal shifted slightly in the murk. A glint of hair like gold coins showed beneath. Above, the guards still lounged, conversing in their quiet knot. Carrick slipped from the grate. He scrambled up the weedy embankment and entered the thick wall of jungle beyond. He had not been seen. Silver skin sizzling with heat, Karn rose to crouch on the battlements and hurled himself into the wheeling night air. He dropped and landed with a thud that brought the heads of the guards around. Garn crouched, half-visible in the silvery moonlight. In time, the guard's attention turned elsewhere. Masked by a rising wind, Karn ambled quietly into the woods after Carrick. More noises came, necessarily ahead of the thrash of leaves, the crackle of sticks, the hiss of dew on red-hot silver. Karn feared to alert Carrick, but speed was the thing. The thief had moved quickly and soundlessly over Joyra's path, taking with him whatever plans or power stones or artifacts he had stolen. Karn followed. His energy stores were taxed by the rapid movements. Heat stress made his joints grind, but anger lent him strength. He topped a rise just as light from the glimmer moon lanced through a patch of cloud. Carrick and two strangers stood beyond. Karn paused, tuning his ears to whispered conversation. The golden-haired young man held out a large roll of paper and pointed, saying, Passage is here. Bring the full company of negators. I'll be sure the way is open. 
I'll be sure the guards in the wall are dead. That was all Karn heard or saw. Malzer's machine reached back through time and laid hold of him, every smoldering moat of his being, and dragged him forward. In angry whips of red energy, the jagging light whirred into a solid cone of radiation. The hillside vanished, and with it, Carrick and his conspirators. Only the lurid light remained. Roaring in frustration, Karn waited to reemerge from the time stream. Eventually, the fabric of the future formed itself around Karn. The cone whirred once more, winked, and was gone. Smoldering and red-hot, Karn stood in the midst of Malzra's time laboratory. The master looked up from his console. He and Baron both were expressions of awe, their eyes tracing the tendrils of smoke that snaked up from the massive metal man and tangled themselves hotly around the time machine. Its own fuselage steamed gray, soot, and crackled, fragilely as it cooled. Karn stepped out of the transport circle. It was a breach of protocol. He was supposed to wait until Master Malzra summoned him. He further offended by speaking before being spoken to. There's an invasion coming! Baron approached and gestured the Silverman back. There's a danger of contamination if you step out of... What sort of invasion? Malzra asked from the console. I do not know. I do not see who he spoke to. But he talked of negators. Phyrexians, Malzra replied in grim confirmation. The mage asked, Who spoke of negators? Carrick, Karn said. In that moment, he realized he must betray Joyra's secret for the safety of the whole academy and her safety as well. Still, the necessity of the crime made it no easier to commit. He is a castaway, watched up on the shore nearly a year ago. Joyra found him and saved his life. He has discovered a way into the academy and now has taken floor plans for the academy to whoever is in charge of these negators. Malzra began pacing again, the old fury resurfacing. They must have a portal to a nearby island, or perhaps merely a sargasso, a boat. They knew I would have defenses against portals directly into Talaria. They are massing somewhere for this attack? How do you know all of this? Baron asked Karn. I followed him out of the academy, out of this very room. He took the plans from here, Karn reported. Beyond the wall, he met with two figures. They talked of negators. Malzra was reeling, his face livid. Damn! And they know of my time tampering. They could not have chosen a more crucial time to attack. When, when did this Carrick hand off the plants? How far back did you go? Forty-six hours. They could be arriving at any moment, Baron said. I will alert the guard. He rushed for the door and down the hall. It's too late, Malzer said quietly, breathing for the first time in perhaps hours. He caught a whiff of the air that wafted from the open door. They are already here. Still sizzling, Karn charged for the door and bolted into the corridor. It was empty and silent, but a smell of oil and metal and death tinged the air. He thought but one thought, Joyra, and hurled himself down the clattering hall. Malzra called out, but Karn paid no heed. Down a set of stairs around a long, slow bend and up a rise, he reached the small, round-topped door to Joyra's room. He tried the handle, but it was locked. He pounded. The wood jumped in its frame. He bellowed a call, but no answer came from within. Lifting a massive foot, Karn kicked through the splintering mass inward and, turning sideways, won through. There was blood everywhere. Joyra had struggled. That much was clear. Now the struggle was done forever. She lay face down in the center of the floor. A red pool extended from her matted hair out to the edges of the room. Her sodden robes rested over a body that was half the size it should have been. There were footprints in the blood, iron shod and spiked toed. One led to the wardrobe where Joyra's robes hung. The door was slightly ajar and from the darkness within appeared a feverishly glowing eye. He's not mad. 
I should never have doubted him. The madness is what he knows is coming. It's what is already here, and it surrounds me. Its fangs sink into me. Its claws are in my guts, and I can somehow feel the warmth of them splatter my feet in the moment before I die. Baron, Mage Master of Talaria.